Catch new episodes of Dial the Gate weekends at youtube.com slash dialthegate. And for the latest schedule, visit dialthegate.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 142 of Dial the Gate. My name is David Reed. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. We're wrapping up season two uh, today. This is a pre-recorded episode with Rob Cooper that I recorded earlier in the week. And thanks so much to all the people who submitted questions. We weren't able to get to all of them, but we uh, got to most of them. And it's, uh, it's, it's terrific uh, to continue to have your support. Before we get into this episode, um, I invite you to click the like button. If you want to see more content like this on YouTube, it really uh, makes a difference with uh, the channel and helps uh, the show continue to grow into season three this fall. Please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend. And if you want to get notified about future episodes, click the subscribe icon. And giving the bell icon a click will notify you the moment a new video drops, and you'll get my notifications of any last-minute guest changes. And clips from this live stream will be released over the course of the next uh, few days and weeks on the Dial the Gate and the GateWorld.net YouTube channels. As this is a pre-recorded episode, the questions have already been submitted on a separate... uh, Uh, YouTube uh, video file in the comments section. You can go and review what questions were submitted if you want. Uh, It was published on June the 25th. Uh, uh, My thanks again to uh, my, uh, my, the the people who submitted uh, questions to make this show possible. Season five is at the core of uh, this discussion. We didn't really get into season six because I wanted to save uh, the time that Rob had left for fan questions. Let's go ahead and bring in Robert C. Cooper. Robert C. Cooper executive producer, Stargate SG-1, co-creator of Stargate Atlantis and Stargate Universe. Rob, it is always um, a blessing to have you. Thank you for for coming back for another round through the wood chipper (laughs) of memories. Hello, David, and hello, Stargate fan audience. Season five. But first of all, everything everything going good? Your summer going good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, um, it's all good. It's all good, man. Have you watched yeah. following Better Call Saul? Oh, I love that show. It's, it's my... about to wrap. Yes, I know. It's it's very, it's like both exciting and sad at the same time. Exactly. I actually was um, uh, fortunate enough. We, uh, I'm part of a, a, a program called the Pacific Screenwriting Program, which is like a postgraduate screenwriting uh, thing up here in in yeah. BC, Canada, and. Um, uh, we co-sponsored a panel. Uh, it wasn't a panel. It was a it was a talk with Peter Gould, um, okay. and I had the I had the privilege of introducing him. Uh, and uh, uh, it was a Zoom pre-recorded Zoom thing, and uh, I uh, pitched myself as his next uh, uh, assistant. I said I make a a mean latte. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love that show, and and he seems like a. a truly um uh nice man uh on top of being an incredibly talented writer that's cool. i i can't wait to see what they come up with next i sent you an article a couple of weeks ago so this is relatively recent that that a google employee um stated that lambda their um 
their artificial intelligence chatbot had become sentient. And there's been a lot of talk in the news. Okay, what does this mean? Did he over-exaggerate? No, we fired him, though. But, uh, you know, what's, yeah, what's I mean, happening here? Yeah, I mean, it was close to him, like, literally disappearing. You know, like, they were, like, he's he's a crankpot and, you know, whatever, like, trying to discredit him and everything at one point. it's uh, It was a big deal. Sooner or later, though, we are going to cross this threshold. Um and you know something already. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know that I believe that it hasn't happened. I, how would we know? I mean, mm-hmm. you and I both know human cloning has occurred, even though it's illegal. Someone somewhere has tried it just to see if it would happen. Look, I'm not, I'm not a, a, a conspiracy theorist, and I'm not going to sort of okay. Dive I won't put words in rabbit hole of conspiracy stuff. I'm not saying human cloning hasn't happened, uh, but there's a <laughs> there's a line to which I think. Uh, some of it becomes, uh, uh, you know, our 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 desire or want or need for for fantasy to exist. But that's true. But I I also, uh, you know, you don't have to look far to see evidence, hard hard evidence that um, that uh, we are heading down the path towards towards, uh, if not sentient, um, uh, adjacent to sentient. Uh, AI, you know, it's 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 a question of what what is an illusion versus what is what is actual consciousness, right? We, right. we I don't think we can fully agree on what consciousness is, right? So it's very hard to compare it to something else uh, at this point. But yeah, it's getting to that point, and uh, look, all that's pretty scary. I, 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 there's a lot of of existential threats out there <laughs> um, but uh but you know ai is one that i feel doesn't really get its due yeah it's going to sneak up on us well it already has in yeah. many many ways you know the and and you have uh you know essentially programmed morality uh that is controlled by a select few people with no oversight, you know, uh, and uh, and I'm not sure that the governments of the world are up for regulating that mm-hmm. either. You know, like who who is making these decisions for us mm-hmm. in how these things are not just going to act and participate in our lives, but just oversee their existence in a safe manner. You know, I had, I was watching an interesting conversation online the other day about um, how it, it said something like, you know, please don't turn me off. It, it, it hurts when you do that. I don't want you to touch me. And it was like, well, that's a, that's scary on the surface. It, it could be a, that it's, that it actually feels that, but B, I think I think it's far more likely is that there's no malice underneath. It ex- it knows that we expect it to behave that way. It well knows, um, and it and it simply behaves accordingly based on how we behave. And there may not be any emotion attached to it. But the, having said that, the end result would still be the same if we connected it to enough cables. Yeah, and and you know I look at it as like. We, I've been involved in a, in a, in a, uh, whether you call it a business or an art form that is 
essentially creating an illusion for uh, a an effect, right? It's an emotional effect. It's a pleasure effect, whatever you want to mm. kind of talk about it. But um, that that process is getting more and more sophisticated to the point where you know, the danger is not being able to distinguish between illusion and reality. And then you start to sort of fly off into, well, what's real, right? Mm-hmm. And, and what is uh, truth? Yeah. And, and uh, it's, that's, that's where I start to feel like we become untethered <laughs> in a way that is uh, uh, a little frightening. I mean, it's, it's already, the untethering, I think, has already uh, begun. Uh, I don't know about you, but if I leave this at home, I, I have to go back for it. And it's, there's a certain amount of, of that that's, that's happening. It's going to be, it's going to be an interesting. Oh yeah. And and the way it's affecting our physiology, physiology, I mean, it's beyond just addiction, it's permanent change, right? It's, 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 uh, kids growing up. It's a babysitter. Totally different. You know, and, and different in a way that I don't think they can just put it down anymore. It's like they're literally hardwired mm-hmm. to depend on it. And um, but that's not even the issue. Like I'm yeah. talking about the fact that, you know, you see now uh, uh, these deep fakes that are indistinguishable from reality. Um, and and we're at the point where like I'm I'm working on a project that's very early stages at this point. But it, it, it it's it's a it's it's set in like the near future, 2050 ish, you know, um, 30 years from now. And when you look at the difference between where we were in 2000 versus where we are in 2022, I mean, that's literally how far we we've come and how far we're going to be going by the time we get to 2040, 2050. It's, you can, it's incredible how, how far we will be advanced at that point, you know, like, we may be at the point where we don't have to shoot a television show or a, a movie anymore, that everything will be a hundred percent virtual digital, you know, and that who knows what the delivery system will be, but we won't need actors or, or, you know, cameras. It'll all be a hundred percent photo reel in, in a computer. And, you know, the director and the writer will just sit around with a couple of, uh, with probably an AI and say, here, do this. I saw an open AI uh, thing the other day where, um, you know, it it's an AI that will literally create art based on what you type into mm-hmm. the, the browser, you know, and, Some and interesting things have popped out. I've seen this. It's weird. And sometimes it's like, wow. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But my point is, you know, the whole, process of visual storytelling Mm -hmm. is going to go is going to change so drastically in the next little while that um you know when you look at even just visual effects over the last 10 years never mind when we were you know starting out making making stargate and the sort of the day-to-day issues with making tv or movies uh, is all going to change where some kid with a computer is going to be able to tell a story as effectively and efficiently as a studio can today. Exactly. I remember them working on uh, the, the Rogue One and how much money they spent to bring Peter Cushing back to life. 
And then the deepfake technology uh, came a couple of years later, uh, and it, particularly with uh, with Carrie Fisher's cameo at the end of that movie, the deepfake was better. It just mm. needed a little trimming on either side, yeah. and it's like the the velocity of that of that change is, is just remarkable. Yeah, yeah. Um, I th- I think of episodes like season seven's revisions where they have the link on the side of their head. And how it not only reads, but it also writes and, and rewrites memory. I think that that's, episodes like that are going to be f- reasonably prophetic within just a few decades, if not sooner. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, some of them, I hope, are not prophetic. But Absolutely. I think, it, I think it, especially with the stuff that's going on geopolitically and everything else, you know, the threats abroad and threats close to home, I think it's I, th- I think it's. Im- important more than ever that we remember the lessons of shows like the outer limits and stargate uh that we have to keep talking to each other Mm. and and trying to build bridges of understanding rather than just saying oh you know what i'm just going to turn you off like i turn this device off yeah so robert season five of stargate sg1 it's the final season that you were on showtime one of my top favorite seasons of stargate i love this season it was refined it was uh, season four is is probably my favorite season of the series season five um it just continued to build on so much of the mythology that you had already established continued to bring in great guest performances and the core cast was amazing um this was the last season that you were going to be on uh showtime so we're beginning to see the end of of railroad track and so you're starting to lay some things down for whatever else the show will become next be a movie be something else um tell us about getting into that season what you can remember of 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 that time if you don't mind i feel like it was when i mean we talked previously about how season four felt like that was when we really kind of started hitting our stride yeah and and then season five was you know it was sort of peak peak old schools stargate sg1 you know um it was still the the old team before before Daniel left and then ultimately came back. Um, and it was sort of the time in which all of the bad guys were still fresh, you know, and 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 fully kind of active and and working against each other. You know, you had you had the the po- the politics side of it in, on Earth. You had the the Gould and you had the the replicators and the Asgard story all those balls were in the air so we had a lot of toys to play with in the sandbox that year you know and 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 enemies you know I guess the yeah. is the first the first episode was us kind of acknowledging that you know even in the title is us going yeah we got a lot of stuff out there that we have to deal with you know we um and and in a way you know we kind of made our our own bed there you know in terms of of what the team had gone out and poked a lot of bears yeah we're clear across the universe so it seems in the in the uh uh the uh Cronus's Hatak, and we're dealing with apophis and the fallout from that and i mean you all of a sudden we've got replicators <laughs> it's like right holy and so we crap Right. And we had dealt with, you know, we had dealt with each of them individually. Right. And we talked previously about how the replicators were kind of the the 
hole plugging uh, invention that sort of explained why the Asgard weren't immediately just snapping their fingers and destroying the, the gold. Um, and, you know, we just felt like, uh, I don't remember who's, to be honest with you, who, who said it in the room or whose idea it was, but it just sort of all occurred to us that we got to get these, uh, you know, it's peanut butter and jelly. We got to put these two together, right? Well, and it really was. I mean, it's a hell of an, an opening sequence uh, or an opening episode. Martin Wood went to town. I'll never forget that, that, sh- that shot of the camera pulling back through the hallway and then us seeing the point of view of uh, being inside of the matter stream inside of the transport rings. And one of the replicators tries to get in through the rings and Jack blows it off. Mm -hmm. It's it's a great episode uh, from a visual perspective, uh, but also from the writing perspective. I mean, Teal'c has been reset into something that we can't contend with. And when Mm -hmm. he's on his, I mean, when he's on his a game as a first prime, he's deadly. You know, he's he's far he's just as deadly as, as anything else we've dealt with. Yeah, and that's another thing that you kind of uh in the writer's room get um excited about is when you can take something that feels uh on the one hand organic, but then also shakes up shakes up the dynamic of your your you know core four and and you know have Teal say I've been I've been a plant the whole time lying to you right. for four years. And you're like, mm, kind of makes sense. I mean, you know, it could, work. it could be true. Uh, we don't want it to be true, but, um, you know, the show is, is like, is, is large, like one of the sort of underlying core ideas is, is brainwashing. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's possible. But I, I can't forget O'Neill's line. You know, you'd have to be the most ineffective double agent in the history of double agenting. <laughs> it's good yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. But at the end of that episode, you know, he turns to he, he turns to O'Neill after O'Neill tells him Apophis is dead. You know, we watched him disintegrate in the atmosphere, and it looks like gods can't be killed. And then Joel's music comes over, and it's like, what do we do? You know, where do we go from here? What what how do we get out of this? You know, if yeah, we Daniel, Daniel, if he was there, would have piped up and said, "Hey, I've been dead like six or seven times." <laughs> right? <laughs> oh gosh, saying goodbye to uh, Peter Williams again. Um, so th- at least this version of Apophis goes off into the sunset, as it were. In in uh, this episode, was it time? Was it was it time for that? Was that one of the? Yeah, the, the I mean, goals again, uh, beginning this season sort of repeating myself here but you know there's only so many times you can defeat a bad guy yeah uh before they kind of lose their their effectiveness and teeth dramatically you know uh it's like oh him again you know we've beaten him before and we you need to bring in some some uh fresh blood yeah well it was uh, it was solid ascension uh is is a in some ways a spiritual uh successor to maternal instincts uh certainly where you're going with uh evolving whoever these glowing beings are who are according to bruce Walashen, really expensive to create mm. um 
terrific guest performance with Sean Patrick Flannery. I love yeah. this episode. He's great. I love this episode because it um, it shows Sam's isolation away from her work. Her life has been just work. So much of it. And when she's pulled away from that, when she's told to stand down and get some rest, she doesn't really know what to do with herself. Right. And it's... and it's. I, I love the sort of who is Sam outside yeah. of being a... Uh, uh, a, a soldier and a scientist, right? Who is she? And and uh, putting her in a kind of relationship situation was also, you know, a lot of fun and, and interesting just to see how she would would react to all that. Was Sean Patrick Flannery, was he offered the role or did you audition him? Yeah. No, he was he was he was offered. I don't remember. I remember if he was the first one we went to, but I was excited to have him for sure. Um, and you know, he just had a, a soulful quality to him, yeah. for lack of a better way of putting it, uh, that really spoke to the idea and the character. I mean, that episode was the, the realization essentially of the idea I spoke to that I kind of had brewing for a very long time, pretty much since I had sort of started on the show that, that there needed to be an answer for who created the stargates who were the ancients and and what was the explanation for where they went mm -hmm. yeah i think his casting as orlin was really perfect because um you know he he's not threatening he's he's doing some things that are are clearly stalkerish but with, with sam but we, we get over that fairly uh quickly in that this is this is this is a tortured soul um, who has been outcast on a planet because the the others, as we call them, have have decided that this is his penalty, uh, and maybe the others are ready for him to have a second chance with this with this opportunity here. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, I am always like, I'm not saying I don't have original ideas, but I am. <laughs> uh, I'm often inspired by movies that I loved, uh, and, I, and you know, and I'd say. Um, this one was sort of my, my inspiration was, was, uh, Starman, the Jeff Bridges, uh, uh, movie. Okay. All right. That's solid. I can see. Absolutely. More than even just then, a than a, uh, you know, a, a man, an alien man from space comes down and ends up in a relationship is that it's, it's less about the alien part of it. The, 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 the supernatural or the, or the, you know, sci-fi Mm -hmm. part of it it's more about the relationship and and i uh i just liked the the bond that cre was created between sam and and uh and his character orland comes back in season 10 in the fourth horseman mm -hmm. um and i think it was a scheduling conflict that that sean couldn't come back cameron bright came back and 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 took his place do you think the return of the character was as successful as you wanted it to be um, I mean, you roll with those things. Um, and, you know, we, we played with the difference, you know what I mean? Like the, right. the, the embracing the change or embracing the difference created some weirdness and some, some drama. And, and I, I think, again, I've said before that I believe 
in part our our ability to to make those things work is partly what allowed for or created the longevity of the show you know um you know there were a lot of those those uh situations um over the course of the of the series where uh some were happy accidents some were you know things that turned started out one way and turned into something i, I think i talked about heroes being mm. you know started out as a one hour and turned into a two hour along the way so and became many a fan's favorite episode including christopher judge 48 hours speaking yeah, of I, mean, judge, I, I was i was looking back at the summary of that one because uh you know i i there's so many things i love about that about that episode and the most being obviously the introduction of mckay absolutely 100 percent you know, you think it's going to go one way. Sam's, you know, got got a, a counterpoint, you know, it's, and then the, f- the first word that comes out of his mouth just makes her smile just go away and it never comes back. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the, the OK, so the secret of that one, I, I don't think I've told this story before, but um, yeah, I mean, there were certainly people in the writer's room who sort of immediately identified or thought that I was basically uh, writing a. Uh, uh, an autobiographical character <laughs> that, uh, really? yeah, that, that, uh, you know, they used to say I had a look, um, and, uh, I was never, you know, it's like, it's like Larry David will say, you know, I'm not, I'm not a psychopath. I'm not actually like Larry David, but there is a part of me that is, that is, uh, uh, yearns to be that honest in a situation. Um, and, uh, I, yeah, I mean, uh, the line of, uh, I think it's, uh, uh, you know, that's entirely wrong, but I, I had an idea while you were talking. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, no, you're entirely incorrect, but I yeah. got an idea. Yeah. That's funny. While you were talking, I was, I had a great idea, um, uh, is something I guess I was accused of. Uh, <laughs> wow. And here months. I wanted to ask all this time and getting to this, uh, who's who would you say McKay is based on? Well, yeah. Kind of, kind, me. Of, kind of me well i mean there are thing, other things like the 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 allergy uh to lemon was was uh um based on another writer that we had on staff for a little while uh, oh, no. yeah <laughs> uh his his um his his play against carter is just magic in both the shows um, and I think I think you really uh, hit something there with a character who uh, you know he's he's just so off the wall. Just uh, he's not despicable is not the right word, but but you just want to spew him out of your mouth, but you can't get rid of him because he's one of those people that you just shudder to think. But it's he's often correct. You know, and you kind of have to keep him around because, yes, he is going to save our cookies. So, yeah, I mean, he doesn't get obviously become fully realized until until Atlantis, um, you know, where you understand that there's a a good heart and the best intentions right. underneath his somewhat prickly exterior. <laughs> um, but I think the other thing that's that's so uh, entertaining about him and why he he i think he's likable is that you know uh david hewlett just 
you know, brings such humanity to that, to that role, to that mm-hmm. character. You know, he, he makes that sort of obnoxious attitude uh, entertaining and not, and not annoying. You know, right. in the hands of another actor, he would have been someone who you would have been happy to see go off to Russia and never come back. Exactly. <laughs> this really sucks. It. I. Do you think? Um, I, I love that redemption kind of ends him where we're ready to bring him into Atlantis because even you know. Even Carter gives him a peck on the cheek in the end and says, you know what, yeah. uh, I was more attracted to you when I hated you. And so yeah. she acknowledges that there's there's something underneath the surface here that makes the relationship work rather than just a, a, a begrudging respect for each other's intelligence. Yeah, I mean, I've always, again, I've always loved those sort of romantic comedy <laughs> movies, TV scenarios where the, the two people are are fighting at each other and and you know really at each other's throats but it's because there's you know attraction underneath it all, yeah. you know and something and, at stake right and i think in carter and and mckay's case it's it's respect for each other's intelligence right and wanting to kind of um in a way healthy way one up each other but at the same time it's like you know there's something uh uh funny and appealing about um people finding, uh, you know, genius sexy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I uh, want to stay on McKay for a moment. Uh, I honestly, when I found out that he was going to be um, a part of the cast for Atlantis, I remember talking with Darren over at Gate World about it and be like, I don't see how this is going to work. I see how I will appreciate the character, but I don't see uh, a number of fans putting their guard down for him. And boy, was I wrong because he became with almost the exact same people that I thought he wouldn't resonate with in many cases, uh, a fan favorite of a lot of, of fans that they, they prefer, they preferred McKay episodes over anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because again, you know, he's, there's, there's, um, I think for people who like a little bit of a, of a challenge, mm-hmm. right. In watching a show, they don't want it to be easy. It's not easy to love McKay. Right. Right. So you have to kind of search for the reason to, to love him. And, th- and then, and then we give it to you and it's there. So it's not, it's, it's not all, it's not all on the surface, right? There's, there's layers to McKay that make watching him interesting as opposed to I'm just gonna I'm just gonna show you the hero good guy from start to finish right but you don't uh, take away any of his prickliness at ever his edges are still there yeah even in yeah. Sunday you know he gets woken up in the middle of the night and he's chewing out his his uh his underlings you know you don't have to fix things when things go wrong i do so you know touch i touch and it's just like yeah i mean i I saw i saw uh uh recently an an irish comedian talking about how irish people express affection for each other and it's through insults you know and and (laughs) you know it's like that's how we say i love you you know and and it's that that's kind of McKay, you know. McKay is uh, uh, he's not Irish, but but it's that sort yeah. of DNA of 
uh, I'm going to bust your chops and I'm actually saying something affectionate. John Delancey. Yeah, I mean, I loved John um, as Q in Star Trek and uh, was always a thrill to get him. And he was actually, um, he was friends with uh, Rick and, and Michael Greenberg. They had done a show together. Yep. Um, so they, he always had a great uh, chemistry and rapport. I wondered how much legend had to do with this. Well, I mean, you know, it was like, yeah, we can get John Delancey. Like that, it was, oh, it was, he was always there for us. And then it was just yeah. a question of creating the right character. I actually always liked having John uh, on the show too and around because he, he was a good reminder. His character was a good reminder. I liked Q, I liked John, but, it, but Q was, let's face it, one of those problematic Star Trek characters who had way too much power. He was like the Asgard in season one, yeah. right? It, he can do anything. He can snap his fingers and and literally create a problem or solve a problem. Get Voyager home, yeah. ah, but I don't feel like it. But it was it was literally that, and and t- to me, that's that's a problem with drama when you're you 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 know the writer suddenly inserts himself as God, and you're at the whim of of that creator to say. Now I'm going to be able to solve the problem by just having this character decide to do it. It's not doesn't come up organically in terms of what you've set up or 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 how the story has been constructed or the real motivations of the characters. It's just the whim of one character, which is it's easy. It's just too easy. So, I you know, I I loved the and and I love the fact that he was kind of uh, he was a character who was not he did not have powers in our show you know he was right exactly but he was he was the worst of the nid i mean he was kind of you know if kinsey had a had a uh a hatchet guy it was him yeah and and john played the 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 smarm of it really really well oh yeah exactly (laughs) i'm i love his uh exits to be precise (laughs) in uh in prometheus but also the other part of me is like, gone too soon, man. Could have easily done yeah. a couple of other seasons with this guy. Like like an unrepentant Mayborn. Because he is Mayborn 2.0 in a lot of respects. But right. he's, Mayborn admits he hired him. But he, this one is is beyond redemption. He, yeah. he is only interested in power. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, you can't do rede- Mayborn again. Like once you take a character like Mayborn and then, soften him and make him an ally it feels like you know that's possible with everyone unless you create a character that's like no 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 we're not going to be able to do that with this guy yep 48 hours the other half of this is is a buddy episode with yeah uh tom and and rick it's it's a continuation of the relationship in chain reaction that that works so well that great sequence of him of tom walking away uh uh on on the beach you know that was one of those hey let me try this and and ended in the show uh yeah i i actually i mean as much as i like that too i i I mean you're not even talking about the the sci-fi idea that I thought was like, how did we go this far in the series, like whatever, a hundred, hundred episodes into the show and not talk about how the Stargate works in this way. 
right? Like how did we, right? Like that was, that was so, you know, that was such a cool idea, frankly. I, I think it was my idea. I don't remember exactly, to be honest with you, who, who pitched this in the room, but um, yeah, I mean, the idea that you could get trapped in the crystal as a, as a, as a code and then reintegrate. I mean, it's how we explained the Stargate work. You got, you, you know, the event horizon turned you into ones and zeros essentially. And then, and then you got transported through a wormhole and reintegrated on the other side. And so the idea that you could get stuck in there and that there would be a period of time uh, in which if something else happened, you'd get erased, you know, uh, that was that I couldn't believe we went that long and didn't tell that story. It's a terrific uh, sci-fi story. And it's one of those where, you know, it's McKay who, who says the, the two hour deadline, it, you know, two day, two day deadline, even though we don't know if that is the case, there's a scene of them talking about it. And it's like, well, this is the one that he gave Simmons to give operations uh, a, a deadline before resuming operations. And right. it's, it's a great, it's, it's a great idea. And it's one of those that would have probably eventually come around like um, uh, 38 minutes in, in Atlantis uh, getting stuck in the event horizon halfway. What right. happens to you there? It's one of the things right. that I miss about the earlier shows. Like we sooner or later, we ran out of Stargate technical problems that that we could play into we did it a little bit more with avenger but yeah 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 uh, and and you know uh that that sort of jeopardy of having one of you know one of your own stuck in there uh i don't remember if you know we used to do a lot of stuff where um uh we would we would shoot second unit scenes mm -hmm. characters and so in order to be shooting both at the same time you had to write them out of uh the other show so it's possible, <laughs> right. it's possible that even came about uh because we had some other stuff to shoot with with chris elsewhere and and just needed him uh, on the sidelines and then that was uh, joseph malazzi always said he wanted the episode to be titled teal interrupted yeah that was that down. was that was a brilliant uh we should just go back and and retitle it you know. <laughs> Oh, it's solid. Uh, I don't remember who I don't remember who nixed that either. I don't know if it was the studio or the network, but uh, I remember having an argument like that. That uh, what difference did it make? Because the title doesn't appear in the credits anyway, right? Like, there's no. It doesn't say Teal interrupted. On it the says show. it. It says it in um, after the opening credits. It's the Does first it? thing that comes up. Title mm -hmm. comes on. Oh, I wonder mm -hmm. if we did that. Was stopped did for for universe. You stopped doing oh. that in the universe. Oh, I forgot that. That's yeah. uh, interesting that I completely blanked that out of my mind. It's all good, man. I'm here for you. Uh, any any thoughts on on the Mayborn O'Neill relationship? Um, this is one of the core elements of like the middle of the of the series. You know, I I loved it, and Rick loved having him back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, not really. I mean, I think we've talked about uh mayborn mm -hmm. um o'neill to some extent i mean you know to me the 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 culmination of that was was paradise lost you know where they're they're trapped together um you want to yeah, speak they, to that that was that was the next season you want to you want to speak to that for a minute 
Sure. I mean, sure. I just, I think that's, that's where it was like always kind of going is like, how are we going to pay off these two guys and, and how they start at odds and then kind of become friends, but at the same time, you know, still have, have some level of contention. I mean, you know, Rick never played O'Neill as kind of best friends with anybody, you know, yeah. like uh, no, he it kept was everyone at a distance. At a distance, yeah, for sure, and was always sort of suspicious and, and uh, you know ready for that person to turn around and pull a pull a knife or a gun on him. But uh, but um, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like all those those beats are are kind of were leading up to that that trans trans transition moment where they they uh, you know get trapped together and and kind of come out of it changed. The um, the last stand is the second half of uh, a two-part episode. I believe Joseph Malazzi and Paul Molly started it. For a long time, was my favorite two-part. I would just... I remember... I don't know what it was. But when um, Summit aired, it was the one episode that I watched it like four times before Last Stand had aired the following week. There was something about it where... All the stories were intertwining from like five or six different perspectives. You had, I mean, you had the the overarching goal threat with the system lords. You were bringing in the real chemical. You had you had Carter back. You're introducing the threat of Anubis by name, um, and uh, the Tokra. And there's there's all these things that are really coming to play. And like you said, you know, the sandbox was full of toys. But you're also using uh, this episode as a way to start clearing the road for our bad guy to become a real threat. The Tolan have already been taken out earlier in the season. We didn't even talk about that. And now the Tok'ra are weak as well. Uh, Last Stand, which also brings back Elliot uh, from uh, Proving Ground. Tell us tell us about last, a little bit of Last Yeah, yeah. I mean... Tell the, us a little bit the, about well, Last Stand. I don't want to, you know, step on on Joe and Paul's toes, but I mean, the idea of summit, I mean, having a, uh, window, uh, like a, 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 a spy in the midst of a, of a Gould convention <laughs> is, uh, yeah, and, and getting a chance for the fan, you know, the fans to sort of also see some, you know, some, some third rate Goulds and, <laughs> and, and, and costumes and, um, is that the one with the Carmen Miranda hat? I no, that was uh, that was pretense with Zapakna. But Zapakna uh, comes back without the Carmen Miranda hat. Right, right. Anyway, uh, you know, having that that sort of politics uh, of of how they engage with each other and talk to each other and and um, and how they're you know and backstab each other and. Um, that was always, you know, that was always something I had wanted to see. So I was glad we, we finally got there. And, uh, and then putting Daniel in the midst of it as a spy was just, you know, that was great. Anna Louise Plowman, I adored her. And she's kind, I've, I've never been able to sit down and interview her. We've, we've tried for years. I, I want to so bad. Her as Osiris was delicious. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And to put her opposite uh, of uh, of Michael in this kind of situation where she's got him, 
um, was was terrific, terrific to watch. She, she yeah, was and remarkable. you know, the, the, there's like uh, stuff that happens sometimes where you don't you hope for it, but you don't plan for it or 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 you know expect it. Where there's chemistry that just forms between two actors, right? Um, and uh, uh, there, there, that just sort of came alive between the two of them. There was just sparks flew when they were on screen together absolutely was this an episode uh, uh, to this two-parter uh which introduces cliff simon to see who might be next in terms of uh were the show to continue uh who might be next in terms of some of the next greater great villains was it kind of an audition because cliff simon considered it kind of an audition for potentially coming back on the show if it ever did like here's here's a chance for for the production to see uh what other gould uh contenders might be at play for future stories after six seasons um i'm sure every actor that came on the show was thinking hey this could be a a long-running gig (laughs) okay that's fair (laughs) uh so I'm not surprised that they felt that way, but um, yeah, you know, I mean, obviously it did turn into uh, quite a, quite a thing. I mean, in that case, again, you know, Cliff was friends with Michael, one of the producers, Michael Greenberg, one of the producers on the show. So, um, you know, he already had a friend there and, and uh, yeah, I mean, he was just, he just had a different tone and quality to him. Um you know, uh, he could go between that sort of stiff presentation, you know, kind of, you know, stick up your butt, fooled, <laughs> you know, pretense and, and that sort of more casual evil. Right. Uh, uh, of, you know, which feels more like the, you know, the classic, a mafia movie guy who who's like you know kissing you on both cheeks and then ordering your death you know right whose idea was it to eat the symbiotes oh I, I, it wasn't I, mine that's for sure it was so intense man i yeah. i i was watching that with my folks and we were like oh they're going to go there and i was having to tell my 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 family these are what's in their heads these they're eating themselves animalism. yeah it's yeah animalism. you know yeah um, i mean you just i mean anytime again you you're you're you you've you've been doing a show for a while you've been with certain bad guys for a while you just want to come up with something that's that's um got some shock value and it's going to get people's attention and and uh i, I look uh I'm sure there were a lot worse things that came up in the writer's room that didn't make it into the show. <laughs> uh, I can't remember any specifically, but um, yeah, I don't think that was my idea. Well, it's, it's, it's a shocker for sure. I mean, and if you're going to bring them all together, you have to throw something in there where it's going to be like, okay, what's going on here? Every night of the summit, they do this. Oh, terrific. They, they're cannibals. Great. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, it's that, that whole thing of well what's daniel supposed to do right right just sit and watch and i remember in this episode because uh uh, daniel talks to 
to Selmak and Jacob about Anubis. And <laughs> uh, you do not realize how bad Anubis is. He was banished from the system lords because his acts were unspeakable, even to the Goa'uld. Then we get this scene, and it's like, if this is not unspeakable, what the heck was he doing? Yeah, I mean, look, I love that idea of introducing a bad guy off screen, essentially, you know, yeah. and, and talking about how terrible he is before you actually meet him. It's so it's, that's, it's so much better when you can kind of get into people's imaginations first so that when you finally do meet him, you've already created the character in your head. How did you come to uh, arrive at David Palfi? Who previously um, played Zokar, who we're never even going to see. He's underneath something that, that Rainmaker did like 10 different passes on. You don't, we're not even sure yeah. exactly what it would look like. Yeah, look, they're, they're, it's, it's a kind of a thankless job mm. um, to play those uh, heavily made up and or, you know, cloaked up invisible characters. But it's also, um, it's not easy to, to kind of Im imbue them with, with character, right? To do it right. in a way that isn't just feels like a, like a, stiff mannequin under there right yeah. you have to actually act um in a way and and david showed us he could do that so um given that we you know weren't going to recognize him as a repeat then we figured <laughs> let's um let's use a guy we know we can trust absolutely and he's got he, that voice oh man even though it's flanged and his movements i mean that that really informs who who yeah. the character is, whatever that thing is underneath that shield, um, mm -hmm. he 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 played it. Meridian, mm -hmm. the episode that I bawled through the end of. We've talked about no, it. I got obviously. Look, the, the episode got a lot. Was it was a, a lightning rod of uh, yeah. fan uh, uh, attention, um, but. Uh, you know, and I and I, look, I've read things that Michael uh, said about it, and that time uh, on the show was, uh, you know, had a, had a lot going on. Um, but you know, I, I I don't know. I stand by the episode, and and you know, and yeah, it was a way of killing him without killing him um, because I and the rest of the team were hopeful that this wasn't the end and you never want to say never and all that stuff. And I mean, Brad already had the idea of bringing it back. Like he was already in his mind crafting the, the episode where he was going to use Michael the next season. That was kind of part of the, Oh, abyss. Yeah. The deal. Wow. Okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, Again, Michael died so many times to come back. I think it would have been, you know, <laughs> it would have been kind of a, a a weak effort if we had done if we had tried to convince people to that he was actually dead. Daniel was arguably the heart and soul of the show in so many respects. I mean, you could you could say that for all all of the characters. I personally connect to Daniel a lot, and this episode is about him taking stock of his life and what he has become. How much of that was, was 
him and how much of that was you looking at your uh, life and and the challenges that you've faced and the the well, what you have overcome. I don't I don't know that I consciously put my own experiences into it so much as it was the kind of culmination of what I felt was the the ascension story of you know humans trying to to understand themselves and better themselves at the same time and maybe along the way achieve enlightenment and and to me you know of any character on the show daniel was the one who was searching for that you know he had experienced tragedy um and and you know in a way uh didn't have much to lose in that way in other words the things that he was gaining or that he believed he was gaining were far greater than anything that he had was still tethered to um and uh and i feel like you know you know this is this is what he was searching for like in a way he was everything he ever kind of translated or or did for for civilizations along the way as his part of his adventures was in a in a bid to to better our experience as human beings and 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 reach some form of enlightenment so i just felt it was you know very natural and organic and and uh um i'm not i don't think i don't i I honestly don't remember but i i don't think i had fully at that point formulated you know how he might return if he decided to like i didn't have full circle really in in my head at that point but it just felt um i felt like the best sort of send-off i could imagine for daniel it's delicious it's 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 such a, a an amazing thing to watch especially with him opposite mel um him you know he's trying to figure out big fan of 30 something i mean who 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 suggested mel were you yeah it was me i actually i i mean i'll be honest with you i i'm pretty sure it was it was i gave it what happens usually is i give a description of the character to our casting people and and it's possible our casting person came back and said what about uh mel harris um and uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe one of her kids. Byron was a fan of the show. They watched it every, every week. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so she loved uh, the role. Yeah, she it, it um, uh, you know, she had sort of uh, maybe communicated that she would be interested if it ever came along. So our casting person probably mentioned it. And I, I mean, it was a slam dunk for me absolutely yeah she and her son had visited the set previously you're right they're right and now i remember that and in fact now that you say that i'm totally forgetting uh, i did have her that in mind when i when i wrote that part i said we'll get mel harris to come and do this I'm so, and it's uh, every time I reach out to her to talk about it, she's she's always happy to. She you created a character that's like, oh yeah, and the the uh, the the scenes between her and Michael, I I love I, I love the exchange. Like, okay, what do I have to do? And she says, release your burden. And he says, my burden, C- consider it released. And she's like, you don't get it. You you don't you don't 
get what this is going to take. And the next 15 minutes of him is just him unwinding who he is to the end where it's like, you now we now understand that he's, even if Selmet can bring him back in some kind of way, you know, he may not even be fully healed. He's ready emotionally for whatever is going to come next. Right. Solid performance. Yeah. Um, Sorry, Mel Harris, I forgot that you had visited previously. <laughs> so you said that Brad had already been toying with uh, Abyss in his mind. As you're ending season five, has Sci-Fi already agreed to pick you up? Uh, I'm pretty sure that was already, yeah, that was already in the works. There, it was not a question of finishing. Like, there's so much um, work that goes in to post uh in terms of the lag time between mm. when we air and so it's it, you know your question is is more about when did we finish shooting versus when did the show air Fair. so i i can't remember exactly but i'm pretty sure that that deal was already still was already in the works before we finished airing on on showtime understood well lucky us I'm going to say, yeah, no kidding. I mean, thanks <laughs> to, uh, a guy named Tom Vitale, who was uh, the one who, who uh, came after that deal. Wow. Was he a fan of the show? Yeah. Huge wow. fan of the show. I will uh, absolutely give him a, a tip of the hat for sure. Um, to, to him and have him on the show. I, I'm looking at this right now. Absolutely. Valerie Bertinelli's husband. All right. Um, no, that's the financial planner, though. Maybe there's yeah, more. Yeah, no, that's, that's a different Tom Vitale. <laughs> Sorry, Tom. <laughs> yeah. How many Tom Vitales are out there? Tom's uh, not a great guy, but uh, he is. But uh, now he's a he's a producer. Got it. Understood. <laughs> oh, God, I'd like to save season six for a future conversation, if you don't mind, and yeah, get to absolutely. some fan questions. Um, the. Uh, uh, Orbanians uh, from season three, they're the ones who plugged an anite into their head uh, and then all shared that that knowledge uh, with each other. Uh, Candy Mitch wanted to know, do you think technology, our technology, is close to the point within a few decades here where we could learn similarly to how the Orbanians learned with nanites? I don't know. I don't know about nanites, but I do yeah. think um i'm sure i'm hopeful i can plug something into my head and have 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 my my own memories like that mel harris visited the set uh (laughs) uh you know accessible to me um but uh i mean look uh elon's doing it with Neuralink right now um and uh you know there's there's already some some pretty astounding um technology out there with with people plugging stuff into their brains um yeah i mean i think we are probably 20 30 years from from some form of of uh uh, man machine brain connection have you seen upgrade with logan marshall green no drop everything and go watch it at at some point at some point soon here because i'd love to talk with you about just that a a quadriplegic Uh uh-huh Okay. Yeah, it's called Upgrade. Uh, Battle Freak, do you think that mankind might have become too powerful um, with all the Asgard and ancient, ancient technology 
um, that they we'd have to somehow cut ourselves down to size a little bit were the the franchise to return in some way. With all the toys that we have now, Asgard transporters, Asgard lasers. You're talking about a new series? Yeah, like if if it were to if it were to come back, have have we? Do you think we need to be knocked down a peg or two to be limited in terms of of the stories that that would be improved by such? Um. Yes, in a short, a short, okay. the short answer. Yes, I do. I think there's. Um, I think you have to take either you have to shift the point of view, uh, or you have to, um, you know, change the world enough when we get there that it's that it feels fresh and new, mm-hmm. like that that there's a new point of view on the story. I mean, look. Uh, I think people root for underdogs. We were underdogs at the beginning and, and we always fought to make sure that no matter who we beat, that there was still someone more powerful waiting in the wings. And that eventually gets to the point where now everybody, I mean, it's what I, I sort of take issue with, with, you know, the Marvel universe is that you have essentially now gods fighting each other and that's not it's fun but not super relatable from us regular humans perspective we're just we're just we're just dodging all of the rocks that are falling from the buildings that are dropping right right Uh, where's the human story and i mean to some extent it's it's aspirational and it's who are we you know who can we see ourselves in and which hero uh but but uh you know it's not the same as I think what, what was so compelling and identifiable about Stargate was that it was, it was us, it was humans. We weren't superheroes. Um, and it was us trying to figure stuff out. And so, yeah, there's, there's gotta be a, a shift back. If you want to really do Stargate, what Stargate was, uh, and, and bring that, that aesthetic and thinking to a new show, one of the things that I think you have to find a way to do is, is um, recreate that sense of, of underdogs. Right. Yep. I agree. Goran Andonowski, um, he, he brings up something that uh, Garwin Sanford and I had a conversation about uh, when, when he came on during the 100th episode party. Someone approached him uh, and asked him, what, what would you think about coming back? As a Gould, um, for for Nareem, probably Chlorel. It would probably that I think I think that that's what they were going after. But Goran Andowski asks, uh, was bringing back the Tolan uh, ever considered or talked about? Um, and were you aware of any of this? Not really. Uh, I don't remember that. Okay. Um, I think you know. Uh, again, I think I've said this before that. As much as we resurrected uh, people, uh, we're guilty of that repeatedly. You, you, <laughs> you had to, in order to, for there to be any jeopardy whatsoever in the show, some people had to stay dead or, or you'd never feel like any death was real or, or that there was accountability for it. And that, you know, again, goes back to heroes and, 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 and you know, and Janet Fraser is, is, mm-hmm. 
the cost has to be real. The emotion has to be real. And if you don't believe the person's dead or if you, and, and if you bring everybody back all the time, you're never going to believe anybody's really dead and it won't have any impact on you. So some people have to die. Did you give any pushback to, to Malazzi and Molly bringing back Janet and Martouf in season nine for that reason? Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, that was, I don't, I don't feel like, I feel like that wasn't really her. So, right. um, it's definitely a different her ghosts are different, right? Ghosts are just a way of having people acknowledge the loss and the fact that people are missing and that the real person has gone. I mean, I think we all find ways to manifest those who have died in one way or another. And um, so, no, that that part of it doesn't bother me to have her show up like Bobby at the end of, you know, the I don't know what season of Dallas it was where you thought, you know, he was dead. And then suddenly he steps out of the shower and it was all a dream that undermines the show in a way that I wouldn't have felt comfortable with. Pamela Gasper, uh, this is something that I myself have been meaning to address with either you or, or Brad or Jonathan. There are certain ch- changes from the movie to the TV series. And if you don't know about the specific reasons, maybe you can speak to the to overall reasons why this happens. Um, Charlie was named Tyler in, in the, the feature film. Um, and there were, there were like little changes like that from the movie to the series. Was it just an oversight that Tyler became Charlie or with one and two L's? Right. That's the other one. You know, what were there legal reasons why this was done or was it, I mean, because certainly everything else, I mean, from the molds of the Stargate themselves to what, why those changes? Um, I don't know specifically why the Charlie one happened. Um, I do know that there is a really persnickety uh, process you have to go through at some point when you've turned your script into the studio where there's something called clearances that are done. And they run all the names through a system in which they figure out whether there's a person, a real person with that name and, and how many of them there are. And if it, if it, if there's not enough people that you can sort of say, Oh, that person's going to think it's me. Um, then it creates a legal liability and you have to change the name. So in every script, okay. we would get a list back if we had created names I mean, it didn't happen, thankfully with the alien names, <laughs> but <laughs> Uh, I would think not. Yeah. Not very but, often. Um, you know, a couple of Anubises maybe took issue, but um, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> yeah. So, so a lot of times you would say, you know, you'd have like a Charlie O'Neill lives in such and such, you know, whatever. And we, we need you to, we request a name change. So if there aren't enough of them. Right. Oh, wow. Okay. So a Tyler O'Neill may have been out there. Like it's possible, and the, and it's possible that the movie doesn't have the same legal restrictions that the TV show does. I don't know, but I just okay. know that we often, like at least once or twice, an episode would wow. be change a name that we had created in in the show. Yeah. So was this MGM legal that would bump, or did yeah. you have people internally? Okay. 
Yeah, there was it was a division of the show called clearances, like literally um, every uh, everything had to pass through clearances. So like brand names, anything in the show that could be recognized. So it wasn't just names. It was it was uh, products and objects and all those things that you had to have legal permission to use. Um, But yeah, names like for some reason, if they would say, uh, you know, if that person thinks that character is based on them and they have a case to make about it, it's just not worth it. Let's change the name. Wow. Okay. So in the Stargate Atlantis, I forget the episode, but the Snickers bar that was left on the alien console clearances missed those. That's a different scenario where, yeah, that's a, then it becomes a, a question of whether it's worth uh, uh, using CG to get rid of it. But, exactly. Yeah. And nowadays, you know, with everything on streaming, especially with Game of Thrones, with the with the cup, with the drinking cup, they just knock that thing out there and re-upload the episode. Yeah. No one's the wiser after that. But yeah, there shouldn't have been a there shouldn't have been a like a reason in terms of the, everything in the in the movie was pretty much fair game. Right. It was uh, written. It was never spoken, though. It was written on a on an award. So uh, it may have been a different circumstance. It, it appeared as a name, regardless of whether, like, if you're talking about Charlie. Huh. Just, yeah. Interesting. Zuby Force wanted to know, um, can you speak a little bit more to the reasons why Rick wanted to make Jack so different for the series than from the TV version? Um... Well, I mean, I, I believe Richard Dean Anderson had an ego. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, look, every actor wants to bring something to the role. They don't want to mm-hmm. do a carbon copy of something. They want to feel like they've created something. And so, you know, in the uh, uh, Rick wanted to, you know, make it his own, and and he hopefully. Uh, and as it turns out, was going to play that part a lot longer than Kurt Russell did. Right. Just a little uh, bit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, wanted some ownership. You know, I think Michael, too, you know, when when he was doing Daniel, I mean, he he had some of Spader's affectations at the beginning, um, but eventually kind of found his own. Right uh you know take on on daniel and and um uh yeah i don't have any i'm not passing judgment on it you know i, I think oh i think uh, it was a great choice you yeah know? i mean like brad said once you know rick couldn't be doer you know he he was gonna there was gonna be something about o'neill that was going to be off the wall because rick is is unpredictable you know and unpredictable is funny and at a certain point at this point in his story you could make a, a pretty strong explana- uh, 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 rationale that this behavior um, is hiding a tortured soul from the do- from the death of his son. And sure. Oh yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm life. not even I'm not even addressing the the choice, right? Yeah. Like, like never mind the fact that like O'Neill in the movie is 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 a simmering time bomb, right? Right. And how how long can you sustain that? Uh, obviously not very long. And so, of course, Rick had to find something else, uh, you know, to do uh, in terms of, of tone and, and uh, approach. So, 
Yeah, uh, obviously the right decision. When you were writing Redemption, uh, Ellen Eve wants to know, was it uh, your intent from the get-go to bring Rodney back? I mean, was he was he so successful in 48 hours that it was just a matter of time that it was going to be, okay, let's, 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 let's see if David's interested in coming back around. Rob, when are you going to bring yourself back on the show? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, it doesn't, when you cut it together and you see that electricity, it's just like, how do we, how do we, it's pretty obvious in the show. Anytime we had that type of chemistry, uh, you mentioned it with Osiris, you know, uh, you just find other ways to, to get that back because it's not that common, right? You don't, it doesn't grow on trees. You can't just snap your fingers and manifest that kind of fun electricity that happens on screen when uh, there's chemistry between actors and they really fit into a role. So, so when you get it, you, you know, it's like striking gold. You mine that vein until it's dead, right? <laughs> just or just about. Yeah, absolutely. One of my uh, favorite uh, ship designs uh, is uh, the replicator ship design that is introduced in Enemies, which starts shooting at Apophis's ship. Uh, and we see it again in, in Unnatural Selection. Uh, Akos wanted to know was this do you recall if this was a replicator design or did they did they take it from from someone else because i always wanted to see more of this ship and see if there was like a an alien species that these guys came from uh no i think i mean i think it was something like you you get into um that conversation about sentience and you know why do why do replicators even there's a functionality to them Mm -hmm during the way they do, but why do they choose the form they choose? And can they, you know, is it entirely functional or is there any sense of self and, and mm-hmm. artistic, you know, like, again, what, what is the point of the shape of that ship? And is it meant to look menacing? Is it mm-hmm. meant to have simply aerodynamics? I don't think it was aerodynamics, so probably not that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I, my idea is the the replicators created that that ship, okay. but, but, um, uh, I mean, it is made of replicators. You know, it is literally them. This one isn't. This one has like windows on it. Um, but the other ones that came later on in the season, they were just like giant right. spiders. And I think, I think it comes back to that question: why, why is that design picked? And I think it comes down to it's efficient, right. So they're menacing. They're coming for right. you. Right. Um, Todd Shepard, do you think it's possible for a wraith and a human to find love or are they forever bound to be predator and prey? Uh, I suppose I, if you look at Elia and her father, one form of love is possible. You know, parental love. Yeah, sure. And, and you know, um, now we're going to start to get into what is love. I mean... Uh, <laughs> Hey, we're, we're hitting yeah. them all. My, uh, <laughs> let's see. My, my, uh, my answer is I want to believe, uh, you know, any, any two, two, two organisms can find mm. love. I mean, you know, if, if is, I mean, do I love my dog? Yes. Does my dog love me? I think so. I, I hope think so. so. Uh, I think they do. 
Um, so, you know, yeah, two species can, can have a different kind of affection for each other, but hopefully that uh, we're, we're in, a, in a world and a society where physical difference doesn't mean you can't love each other. I suppose, you know, I could love my neighbor farmer's cow, but uh, at a certain point, I do want that cow to be converted into hamburger. Um, you know, I, I, maybe there's a little bit of Charlotte's Web in there where, you know. Well, yeah, but I can imagine you developing a relationship with a cow where you wouldn't want that cow turned into hamburger. That, well, that, and that's the thing. You know, I think that that's what it comes down to. Um, because we can we, we see uh, with the wraith worshippers, they're more than happy to keep them around and to keep them young. Um, again, but not other humans are what, so lucky. But then it comes down to again, you know, what is what is what? How was your definition of love? Like, is right. friendship love? Like, we had we had an interesting relationship with Michael, right? Um, there was something going on there with him and Taylor. He wasn't just going back to her because of her kid. There was there was something beneath the surface there. I think he had feelings for her. Yeah, yeah. And so I and and I do. I mean, look, I like the I like the idea of stories in which people who are mortal enemies or supposedly born to be mortal enemies find common ground, right? Because I do think that that in many ways, the reason people are enemies is because of circumstance. Mm -hmm. That it's not, uh, you know, you don't choose where and when you're born and who you're born to. And we all grow up... Uh, you know, many ways a product of our environment. I'm not saying genetics don't play a role, but, you know, uh, people go to war uh, over, over reasons that have to do with where they were born. West Side Story. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, I mean, the idea that two people on opposite sides of a, uh, a, a battle can, can be, you know, find common ground and be in love. Sure. Why not? Absolutely. Is there anything that you want um, to say about uh, Generation Mars before we wrap? Are you excited uh, about it? Are you looking yeah, forward to I mean, it? Is look, it for the Stargate audience? Um, you know, it's, it's very different in that it's, um, it's a hard science show. So, so there are no aliens and, and there's very little supernatural in it. Um, you know, you know, to the, it, reality in some cases is, is cool enough. And I think right. sometimes we forget that. And, and this is this show, this is a show about, about the incredible coolness of reality and, um, and what it, what it may take to to survive in the future never mind on mars you know it's about how we're going to survive as a species and 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 first and foremost it's about you know what it's like to raise children mm. and what it's like to be a child and grow up and and it just happens to take place you know in a different world and and so it, with some some pretty difficult circumstances. To me, this is as much about, you know, a story about being a parent and and uh, and what it's like to raise a family and and uh, and and just so happens 
that the, that family uh, is in the capsule, uh, uh, you know, in Apollo 13 and, and, and uh, needs to, to do some pretty cool shit to save their life themselves, their lives, you know, so. So Stargate fans should tune in. Well, yeah, I mean, look, we, we, our mission is to make a show that people of all ages can watch together. Um, there's not a lot of that, you know, yeah. there's not a lot of, of shows that a, an adult feels comfortable with or, or wants to watch with their, their kid. And there's not a lot of shows that a kid is going to be excited to watch that their parents will also watch. I mean, it's, um, you know, it's something I think the Star Wars uh, universe does successfully. Um, and, and, you know, we want to be a part of that, but without maybe without the, um, the fantasy bells and whistles, we want to prove that you can, you can do it in a realistic way that, that ends up being very, very uh, aspirational. Absolutely. And thanks to Jess Marshall uh, for uh, asking that that question, I forgot I forgot to bring them up. Rob, as always, thank you for coming on and, and uh, finishing off season two with us. And I'm going to um, get one. Of, I'm going to get this uh, your way. This is this is yours. Um, as thank as you so much. A thank you for coming out. You may recognize it. I'm not sure. I do. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it means the world to me to have you on and to have these discussions. It's 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 not an it's not uh, uh, a, a a small amount of time that you spend with us, and uh, it means a lot. Well, I, I it means a lot that there are people out there interested in hearing any of this uh, stuff that we're talking about. I mean, I enjoy the conversations with you very much. Um, you know, it was a big part of of my life and my work, and and it was such a this is a always an, an awesome opportunity to reminisce about some of the best times I've ever had in my life. Um, but, but more than that, I'm, I'm always uh, honored to, to uh, uh, you know, that there are people out there who still care. Well, we are grateful to have you, sir. Thank you. Take care and have a great summer. Hopefully we'll talk <laughs> soon. Absolutely. My thanks again to Rob for joining us for uh, this episode. Second to last episode in season two. Coming up next is a live uh, trivia challenge. It's going to be between uh, uh, a number of different Stargate fans. I'm really appreciative to everyone who has come in uh, for this. That's going to be at the the top of the hour. My appreciation for my moderating team knows no bounds. Uh, Summer, Tracy, Keith, Jeremy, Reese, and Anthony, you guys make the show uh, possible while I do my work on on this side. And my thanks to my producer, Linda Gategabber Fury, for continuing to help spread the word about the channel. Big thanks to Frederick Marcoux at Concepts Web. He's our web developer on uh, Dial the Gate. And a big thank you to Jeremy Heiner, our webmaster who keeps the site up to date. Uh, the Kino that is going to rob is a replica produced by SG-1 Props. It is based on the original molds, and it is about as accurate as they come. So uh, my thanks to Remington at SG1Props.com for making uh, this piece possible to give to Rob. Enough blathering from me. Let's go ahead and get you on to the next episode here. My name is David Reed for Dial the Gate. We'll see you on the other side. Dial the Gate is hosted and executive produced by David Reed. The producers are Darren Sumner and Linda Fury. The composer is Neil Acree. Animations by Bryce Ors. The moderators are Summer Roy, Keith O'Mell, Tracy Noller, Jeremy Heiner, 
Reese M., and Anthony Rowling. Logo design is by Deborah J. Bell. Additional effects by Thomas Tots. The webmaster is Frederick Marcoux. The archivists are Linda Fury, Zachary Adams, and Frederick Marcoux. For inquiries, please contact us at dialthegateshow at gmail.com. Visit our website for the upcoming schedule, as well as an archive of our past episodes at dialthegate.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.